You've found the Virtually Possible podcast. Join the discussion on future of work, organizational design, and personal growth. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Virtually Possible podcast. Well, technically, this is episode one, but uh, who's counting? I am thrilled to welcome Alfir Weinstock to the pod. Alfir is an engineer, full stack developer, which I think it means that he can do both front and and back-end development and he's been consulting for various startups over the years. He's also a co-founder and DJ at the Spreadshop Boys Collective and a founder of the much-loved and appreciated Radio Corona, Radio Corona.rocks, the Berlin-based radio station that kept us smiling insane through the first lockdown. Welcome off here to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Maria. Hi. Before we dive into the topics that we want to cover today, um, I will have a few words from our sponsors. Ah, wait, I don't have any sponsors, <laughs> so we'll just dive into well, it. Always good, uh, you know, wishful thinking, start with wishful thinking. Yeah, well, maybe one day, maybe one day. So we have been friends for a very long time, uh, but that's not the only reason why I wanted to talk to you today and uh, not the only reason why I wanted you to join me in this discussion on the future of work. But you are what some would call a remote work veteran, really. You have been freelancing for a while now, working from Berlin for companies based in Germany, based in the U.S. But you've also done the, the classic digital nomad experience. A bit, a bit of it, yeah. <laughs> uh, a while back in Thailand and Singapore. Was it Singapore as well? Yes, I was in Thailand and Singapore. So I think what I wanted to start with first would be your perspective on how remote work used to look like for you and what it is today. And have you experienced any changes due to the circumstances of the, well, prevailing coronavirus? I guess the biggest difference is that when you used to work remotely before, you would also be free to what you would call digital nomadize yourself and go to other places, avoid bad seasons, for example, in your uh, base location. And now this is a bit more difficult uh, because traveling is restricted. So that's the main difference. I mean, before that, working remotely, uh, and also it depends on the time zone restrictions you have with the clients you're working with, meant that you could also travel and enjoy the world. And that's what uh, all of this digital nomad uh, movement is about. Or live somewhere cheaper, save some more money, and so on. This is a bit not possible right now. So working remotely essentially means working from home or working exactly. from the radius around your house, from your cafes, maybe co-working spaces, maybe some friends' offices. Well, if you're lucky, because a lot of countries or cities are still in lockdown, which means exactly, that, it, exactly. that yeah, you cannot even go to a coffee shop. So that's what changed immensely because of the COVID situation. Um, you still are very flexible, but uh, spatially, you are less flexible, geographically less flexible, I would say. That's for sure. So in terms of how you conduct your work, has, has that had um, a bigger impact? Like you said, you don't now probably have so many um, challenges with the time differences because you are based in... In Europe, let's say, but I think oh, you you had a funny story about no, that. Not a funny story, but b basically, it it really depends where the rest of your colleagues are working from, Very true. and what remote setup does the company have. Mm -hmm. uh, I think most companies they try to to keep it with like a certain time zone limit. But I work for one client now, for example, that there's people all over the place, uh, so that that. That still creates some issues and weird hours, but that's part of the flexibility that you want, in my opinion, and. It gives you also a lot. It's it's a disadvantage, or it's a it's a con, and a pro. It it really mm -hmm. depends how you look at it. What is the setup that you have with your remote team? Yeah, last night I worked from 8 p.m. until midnight because my colleagues, uh, some of them, the rest of the engineering team is in Latin America. One is in Venezuela. One is in Colombia. So when it's 4 p.m. in Berlin, they start working, and that's usually when we become more. Uh, how would you say this, productive as a team. Or sometimes I'm blocked because I need some answers for them. For example, I'm doing just front-end and I need someone from the back-end to prepare some functions for me or some uh, ways for me to query data for the applications that I'm building, and I'm, I'm kind of blocked. So that's one thing that happens. But what happened yesterday is that we were working on a release, so we were trying to work all together, and that means uh, for me working relatively late. 
but I'm saying relatively because we have a colleague in Japan. So imagine that she was still awake by the time I went to sleep at midnight. That was like almost, I think, 5 a.m. in Japan. And she worked all day before that. It's not like she started in the afternoon. She was more flexible like all of us are, but it's weird, right? Uh, I used to also work with a colleague in Japan. That he basically was awake all the time. It's crazy. Yeah, it was like every time you needed him, he was there. It's like, when are you going to sleep? I think we've had a similar experience at AppLovin with everyone being distributed um, so broadly really around the world. And you would wake up and be able to work a little bit with Japan, with China, and then then the Middle East, then Europe. And then when you were ready to go and have dinner with friends, you would have California wake up and then you would have the round two of, of work. But yeah, that's the beauty of those global teams that you get to experience all of those different cultures and you get to collaborate with the people that you would normally probably not have the ability to do so if you were only based in, in a small team and, and would service only a part of market that is related to where you're located. I think people talk a lot about uh, diversity these days and there's nothing better for diversity of mind and diversity also like generally in, in human beings in style for example to work with like crazy remote i'm not talking about remote we are all from germany and working from home mm -hmm. when you work from with, with people from all over the world it's the same as you know all of these programs that they used to do in the 80s let's meet some people from let, let's meet the <laughs> one that is different let's hear how mm -hmm. they live their life and we become better human beings. This is like on a higher note, I'm trying to say it. But you, you really, when you learn and you get to know people from all over the world, you don't think of them as this strange and, re and remote. They, they become less remote. The work is remote, but the people are closer in a sense. Yeah, that's very, that's very true. And it's important. It's important to expose yourself um, to those, those experiences because that's the best way to learn about other people, about other cultures and especially today when we're not able to travel, this is probably the closest um, proximity for us to still be in touch with someone who's on the other side of the world. So work is actually a very nice um, channel for us to still be able to experience those interactions. I mean, as long as it's friendly work and you don't get to hate people and then you project about their geographical location, all of you are like, I don't like this colleague from uh, Nicaragua. Oh, and you're like, I hate Nicaraguans because of them. You know, that's the, si the other side effect. Yeah, but, but to, for that not to happen, you just have to sleep. <laughs> just take some rest and Definitely. sleep and sleep it off and, but and that's then you'll be fine. That's a very nice side effect. And actually, I just got to think about it now uh, while we were talking. But your, your initial question was about the time difference, I think. Yeah, I think my initial question was more about the difference in experience between ah. the old work remote setup uh, versus today's work from home setup, really. Um, but but I think we've covered that. And But one more follow-up question I had on, on your experience uh, in that sense was also, have you noticed any different um any difference in approach coming from the managers or leadership or the company owners that you work for how did they tackle that initial challenge of everyone being remote or have all the companies that you've worked for been uh, completely remote from the start anyway in one of my experiences we've been uh, okay so the disclaimer here is that my experience is at least in the last five years since I moved from a relatively big company and started working more like on a freelance basis or sometimes full-time but in small companies uh, or early stage companies is that they are much more flexible in the beginning because they are anyhow like a couple of founders and a couple of developers or something like this and then they don't mind to say I work from home today like there are no processes there are no like there's not a crazy office space with uh, procedures, all of these kind of institutionalized um, rules about how you work. So they are more flexible. So we that's the disclaimer. We also talked about how in the very early stages, people don't really know what they're trying to do. And so there's a lot of flexibility also coming out of that because they cannot really, they're not as strict because they're still trying to figure out where the company is going in general. So as long as you're able to help them answer those questions faster 
I think that is what is prioritized more so where the where the work is done is less important versus whether the work is just um, getting done in general. Completely, completely. And so uh, and other than joining, for example, uh, you joined a small German startup that they wouldn't really mind. We had an office, but sometimes I would like, I'm, I'm going to uh, Greece or to Israel for a week. It's like, yeah, we have the tasks, you know what to do. You know how to reach us. It's all good. Like, come back. I mean, come to the office when you come back. Come back. Come <laughs> please back, come please. back. <laughs> um, and then I joined a company that was, they had an office in Berlin. We used to go to, but uh, team members were in the States and in Japan. And then we hired someone from Croatia as well. And then we actually got rid of our office because it was mm -hmm. just costly for the company. And then we just work from home or we, we would meet in a cafe or in a co-working sometimes. And uh, that, that was great. And that's where I was like, well, this, they don't mind where I am at all. This is where it hit me. And it was great because I, I felt more uh, energized even and more um, enthusiastic about the work I'm doing because I, I admire flexibility. It is something that I, I value flexibility. Mm -hmm. I admire as well, but mm -hmm. I value my flexibility, my freedom in a sense. This is part of my psyche. So for me, that was great. That really combines well. Well, these are all very good insights, Ophir. Thank you so much for that. So speaking of what you value and the fact that it's very important for you to stay flexible and stay free to work the way you find most efficient, do you have any tips on how to stay productive? Because obviously throughout this the first six months of the pandemic and everyone going remote, there's been a lot of articles coming out and people giving some tips and tricks on, on how to stay, how to stay energized exactly and, and productive throughout the day. Do you have anything that you could share with our enormous audience um, about how to, how to do that? Well, well, first of all, it really depends what is your situation is at home as well. Do you have like, uh, you live with other people, do you live, with, you have kids and stuff like this. As that usual, it's depend. It's depend, <laughs> yes, as the Israeli people say, it's depend. For me, my rule is that try to get out of the house in the morning. Uh, the morning can be very late, <laughs> depends on what people mm -hmm. think, but uh, just get out of the house, doesn't matter, have a coffee, have a walk, sit in the park, you know, you can go with mobile hotspot if the weather is okay, sit even, like, even with a computer, even for work, uh, just sit out of the house a bit. I've heard a lot of people talk about the fake commute uh, right now, which is kind of leaving the house in the morning to go for a walk um, for the amount of time that it would take you to commute to a place so that you get a little bit of the activity, a little bit of the sunshine, which is important in the morning, even in the cloudy Berlin from, you know, some time to time. It's, it's just important to be outside, get some air. So that's been the newest trend you pr pretend commute. I, I completely agree with this. For me, I also always dress. I get out of bed, I put on a pair of jeans, uh, and um, my wife always asks me, why, you're not going to go out of the house today? I said, even then, I'm going to work on the couch or on the table, and I'm going to dress like I'm going to work. I'm not going to be in my sweatpants or pajamas all day. This it's is a feeling. It creates a feeling of urgency, of work. That's for sure. And a lot of people talk about the morning routines and the make your bed routine. And I've listened to uh, one of the neuroscientists that I um, am a huge fan of and um, Andrew Huberman. He talks about how it's not even that important that it's not the morning routine that you do as in like that you have to make your bed. It's about the things that you don't do, which is exactly not staying in your pajamas and not being, you know, all kind of sloppy and, and staying on the couch, not brushing your teeth. It's actually that this, even the making your bed and then putting on clothes that just shifts your mindset into that format of, of the kind of day that you want to have. And you put your uniform, let's call it like this. We are uh, this type of office workers and, I don't know, jeans and a shirt Mm -hmm. It's our uniform, even a t-shirt, not necessarily like a button shirt, but this is the uniform. So at least put the uniform, dress for the job, uh, and don't stay, don't, don't be slouchy. You mm -hmm. know? You're at home, but you're, this is your office as well. 
it doesn't matter how you sit exactly what is your ergonomic setup this is still well it does space. it does yeah. matter in the long run uh but that's been another thing that people have mentioned a lot right that you have to you have to understand that since this is now combined both uh, being at home and and being in the office how do you differentiate between being a home a homely slob and then being a productive um employee i think i think with partners it's uh it's it becomes even a bit more difficult and requires good communication as everything in a relationship uh because for me what happens is that sometimes i'm sitting here and i'm doing a lot of stuff and and my wife is sitting here as well and she's saying stuff like hey let's you know she's trying to to engage and you have to be like nice to say i'm sorry i'm working because there is no wall sometimes i'm without headphones so I'm like and it's important not to as a partner for example not to uh, take it to the heart not to take offense in this and to say ah right it, it's office here mm-hmm. or still me it's office hours um, yeah it's office hours so work comes first uh, we can talk about it later unless you know and that there's certain urgency to it which usually there is that's uh, that's so true that's that's a good tip you, and this is especially for people that live with partners or even with children to to be able to set the boundaries and not be offended by this kind of behavior because it's usually you are offended right you think of it's like why is my partner telling me mm-hmm. that, uh, like to leave him alone yeah no, says it's fine he's working they are working whatever i don't want to uh, bother this is the new normal where we need to talk about the fact that those boundaries have to be set up because we have not been functioning this way before and today we need to set them just so that we can both get the work done so that then we can both get paid and then so that we can both go and enjoy our lives with the whatever restrictions that are in place um, depending on where we are so that's that's another that's another valid point i want to have another point on this topic of of managing this remote work with, with partners with, with, with friends as well it's not necessarily just with uh, romantic partners or life partners because there's a lot of gays in Berlin so people live in big communities yeah it also has to do with your with your friends or with your flatmates not necessarily but with whoever you live with the old expectation was that you are available at from 5 on right it's like yeah let's do something to the after 5 but now people need to ask the question especially if you're working with a remote in a remote position that requires you to communicate with other time zones is this is the free time actually free when mm-hmm. we're all working in under one time zone it's very clear to us that the working hours are you know office hours 9 to 5 whatever you want to call it give or take but this assumption or this pre presumption is not correct anymore That's and true. this has to be communicated because for example stuff like i made plans with friends from tomorrow night and like did you ask me if i have to work tomorrow night and some some people might be angry about it. it's like why do you have to work at night and it's like well i'm not working in the morning mm-hmm. and i choose to work at night it's my choice and this is difficult to communicate because we got used to this time time frame or this uh, time circle that is means like yeah in the evening i'm free yeah but i think at the same time it it, it just means changing the type of a question that you're asking from are you free after or at this time to when are you free and then this way kind of figuring out and scheduling some time together with with your friends or uh with your partner it i wouldn't say it's going to take for a very it's going to take very long time for us to to be able to be okay with asking the open ended questions as opposed to the closed ended questions yeah it, it's definitely going to take some use to but people already are i mean at the time The 9 to 5 is slowly breaking down as we call it. Yeah, I'm generally not a fan of the 9 to 5 approach just because I don't think people are able to stay productive 8 hours in a row. It's more interesting to look into having focused slots of of time where you just do focused work, um the deep thinking you know for say 3 hours of a day then you take a break and then you do another 3 hours and in the end it should really only be about the quality of the output 
and not the time that you put into it. If you have to put more time into it, then, well, it, it mostly just means that you need more training so you can be more efficient. But I think judging the productivity by time um, solely is is a very outdated this idea. This is a Tayloristic approach. Oh, yeah, the, our favorite, know, yeah. From If you think about these ideas, they are from the Industrial Revolution. They are, what, 150 years old? Yeah. Something like that. And yeah, this equation, times equals efficiency, it's not relevant. It might have been relevant when all you had to do is tend and uh, how many screws are you screwing an hour? But we are not screwing screws anymore, at least not in the line of work that we do, creative work. How can you evaluate this on an eight-hour basis? Yeah, definitely applying those standards of work from manufacturing to the the work that we're doing today with our brains only um, or any creative work that we're doing. Also service work. Also service work is absolutely crazy because of the push towards growth and um, everyone's, you know, running for revenue more so than trying to design an organization that's going to be sustainable. We're just applying the old standards for the organizational setup to today's companies just because there's no it's hard to i think mm, that's what people know yeah that's (laughs) yeah but it's very it's very hard to justify the the investment in in doing things that are not directly reflected in revenue the next day i mean maybe i I just want to reflect on what you said because i took a second to think about it what you're saying is that uh, maybe at the eight hours work they it forces quantitative thinking. And this is what revenue is all about. You, it's, mm-hmm. it's about quantities. So if you want to prove that you are a company that does well or the organization that does well, all of your measurements for how you're doing, they have to be quantitative. Mm-hmm. And so it's very hard to argue about to people that, yeah, we work less hours, but we work better because the human mind is like more like more hours equals better you know this kind of like positive correlation it's more easy to convince especially if you have a board and investors and all of these people that you need to convince and they're usually more old school in a sense they come from old corporate world that's what uh, okrs are for for example the okr okay method yeah. that was developed mm-hmm. in intel i think that you still use qu- uh, quantitative measures but they don't necessarily have uh, to relate to the time. So if you say uh, the key result, the objective key results for me in the next is to get like three deals, you know, it can take me 10 minutes if I'm a very good salesperson. It doesn't mean that if I'll sit more hours, I'll get more deals. And it doesn't mean that if I'll sit less hours and work on it, I will get less deals done. And that's that's a great method. That's something that I do support and when I see that in organizations. And I, I, I've only got exposed to it a couple of years back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's definitely one of the better that better ways of of approaching productivity and goal setting versus the Taylor approach. But there are people that misuse it, and they in op- the OKRs, what they call, they use, they say stuff like spend that amount of hours on something, and that becomes the the OKR, and that's like completely against the rule of it because what can you tell that you spend so many hours on this? What are you accountable for? Yeah, I spent the hours. Nothing got done or mm. a lot of things got done. doesn't mean anything. Yeah, staying online for eight hours and reading one article or not doing anything but just being there really doesn't amount to anything. So, Buying football jerseys online. <laughs> we all do those things. <laughs> we started the conversation on efficiency of remote work a couple of weeks ago while having beers. Uh, but I thought it would be valuable to bring it on to the podcast as well. Because since most of the teams have moved to this new setting, obviously have been extensively using Zoom and other tools that uh, they've been also using previously, um, I'm sure. But now this have become the, the only, really the only channels to communicate. I wanted to talk about the approach to efficient work in the context of a team. Because we've spoken offline about how people get together for meetings or do the brainstorming sessions. And then 
still when they move back to let's say their operational tasks they're still confused about what is that it's supposed to be done or what is the desired outcome of the project and i wanted you to share your thoughts on that as well let's start with what you just said about meetings i know that there are companies that are like no strictly no meetings meetings and shit i'm not going to say that i'm just going to say with my experience you can have meetings it's not a problem it's necessary the problem for me is that someone calls for a meeting and then in the meeting they start the meeting and the meeting is just talking nobody said nobody shows an agenda before nobody have written minutes or at least action goals because meetings should induce action right if there are no sure. action points after a meeting what did we do the meeting for it's just to make decisions about actions that each of us can take or groups of us can take other than this go for a beer yeah have a social meeting that's fine talk about you know brainstorm about work but even from a brainstorming stuff comes out because a decision about some selected idea needs to come out it's resultless it's called this resultless work that people are doing and i understand why because some people you know it's it's, it's they're bullshitters and that helps them they get the place to vent and they end up without a task without doing anything the company or the business didn't go forward in this meeting and every hour spend when you are working that you are not driving the work forward you're not uh, progressing for me it's a waste especially as a freelancer you get to think about it much because you get paid by the hour that's so for sure why am i sitting here i mean i also tell my clients sometimes you want me to sit in this meeting i'll sit in this meeting but you're going to pay me for nothing Well, that's a very bold statement, but it's important to s- I think it's important to say that, uh, especially if the setup is not correct, right? I've always been quite adamant about having agendas before my before every catch up, every call, even every one-on-one that I would do. Or if someone said, "Ah, I don't actually have an agenda." then I would be like, well, th- these are my points that I want to discuss. Yeah. And yes. at least those points we should um, address. And then whatever else uh, comes up, then let's let's also talk about that. But I think going into any meeting, especially if it involves more than two stakeholders, it's super important to have an agenda because you're taking away the time, like you said, valuable time from so many people. And so if there's no... there's no goal for for that meeting then we should likely try to avoid it i learned it a lot from uh, one of my uh, uh, bosses throughout the years that i'm also working with now adam greece and he always in the meeting says oh, the time of this meeting is very expensive if we are eight people in this meeting exactly eight. it's every hour equals eight hours and that's a lot of money to pay because you could have been doing other stuff in this time actually to, to progress so every meeting to be called like this should not be taken lightly but I see especially in places where people work this you know nine to five or full eight hours it was very easy for organizations to just call meetings about anything f- of anything and people would just be in meetings all day mm. so I think there are two reasons why people like meetings a I believe that a lot of people do not know how to value their own time And for that reason, they are willing to they, they don't understand that their time is so valuable that they could be doing other things. And then the other reason why is either people are not fully immersed in their work or they don't like it. And so they're happy to spend time in a meeting instead of doing their actual job because they don't enjoy it or they don't know how to do it well. And if you see a lot of people that are willing to take a lot of meetings, if you're a manager, Or if you're a leader, that should get you thinking about why would those people even want to devote so much time, waste really so much of their time sitting with other people and um, talking about things if they're not strategic or not super important. There is this famous uh, Warren Buffett, I think, meme. I don't remember if it was him or Bill Gates, but it could be both because uh, they share some similar uh, state of mind regarding work. And he said... Having more meetings doesn't make you busy. Like, I mean, it doesn't make you work better. You don't achieve necessarily a lot by, if, if your calendar is full of meetings, it doesn't mean that you're doing anything. And someone joked and he said, yeah, what if there's like two days off a week? And he's like, you know, one of the best investors in the world, whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
Of course, because if you deal well with your time, you don't need more than this. Yeah, you have to be you have to be very kind of aggressive about protecting your own time. If you've but this comes from I think the ability of understanding how valuable your time is. And if you want to do other things or you want to learn about the world or travel, well not travel maybe not today, but just be able to spend time with family or friends, then you will it will motivate you to be very strict about where your time goes definitely when you get paid like globally and uh, work this number of hours a day it's easy to forget because yeah, you're like oh, sure. oh i'm anyhow here might as well when if you are a freelancer you really get to think about that but don't you think that now with the fact that we're all working remotely and you don't need to sit in front of your manager for eight hours, you actually should strive to be even more productive because it allows for you to be, to do your job much quicker if you, if you really want to. And then it gives you this free time to read a book or do a yoga class or even sit with your partner that's been nagging you <laughs> to do something. And then you can um, actually spend your time better I, th I think that creates a hybrid of okay you are not necessarily a freelancer but you still have more control of your time which is nice because when people are working remotely they don't have to be present somewhere uh, like an office they can see okay I can actually you know I can decide I have more autonomy and deciding what I want to do with my time and it becomes more goal-oriented. Generally, the work becomes more goal-oriented than hour-oriented. Maybe this idea that we talked about, that more hours you work, the more you achieve, it dissolves slowly. Yeah, that would be a great outcome of this whole crazy time, right? When people would finally understand that time is of a huge value. And so you need to be clearer in terms of what you want to achieve with your time because I think a lot of people forget that we're only here once. YOLO is really true. You know, you're not coming back here. So every day and every hour you waste, you're not getting it back ever. Have you ever watched the movie In Time with uh, Justin Timberlake and Dakota Fanning? I don't remember. Uh, so I, I watched Alpha Dog with him. Remember that? that no, movie? I haven't watched that. I, I thought it was a great movie. I don't know what this is about. But let me tell you just a second about In Time because it's relevant. I think it, it didn't get enough appreciation. It's set in a, some sort of a dystopian future where there's no currency, but the only currency you have is time. So people have these bracelets with timers or something like that. And basically you have free time until you're 18. But once you're 18, you get one hour worth of time. And every transaction that you do in the world, you pay with time, which means, for example, you want to go on the bus, you pay with a couple of minutes or a couple of seconds. But that means you're going to die younger. So if you're 18 and you paid for a bus, it already takes some minutes from your life. Now, you can also earn time when you go to work somewhere. I was just going to ask, can you recharge? You can, if you go to work. And there is a story there about that the rich people have more time or basically infinite time, so they stay young forever. Uh, and, you know, revolution and all of this, this is like the metaphor of, of there. But when I watched this film, it, uh, it really, really like made me think. And I'm like, wow, th that's an amazing uh, way to describe what time is it for us. Or t you know, the famous saying, time is money, is turned around. It's money is time. Well, I always say that we pay with three currencies in life. And it's the monetary currency, which is the actual money then it's time and it's energy. And I think if you don't understand that every time you interact with someone or decide to do something, you have to always take something out of each of those pockets or either of those pockets. And so just thinking that, you know, it makes sense to, let's say, spend a lot of time working somewhere because you get a lot of money for it the money is not going to buy you more time. So you cannot top up that bracelet, really, which I think is something people people kind of don't pay attention to. So that's where I really, then, exactly, this, the movie gives you that feeling, that this top-up feeling, and it just merges all of these currencies kind of mm -hmm. together, because energy, time, mm -hmm. and actual money. Uh, 
So I really recommend this in, in that sense. In, it was overlooked, in my opinion, as a great science fiction film. Yeah, and we both love Justin Timberlake. Yeah, who so doesn't like? Who doesn't like? JT. <laughs> Good old JT. Coming back to the efficient uh, work setup for projects, I think we touched upon meetings and the need of having an agenda, having a clear goal. What would you say is also very important for um, task setup? Because I'm assuming you also use, you know, whether it's Trello or Asana or or any any of those uh, tools for uh, collaborative work. Um, what do you see most of the time? Let's let's maybe think about the negatives. What do you see, you know, not being included in in the tasks description versus what what you think is the best way to tackle that problem? Generally, the the tool doesn't necessarily matter here. You can write tasks on a piece of paper if people can, you know, all read it and interact with it, or on a board. On a board. The definition is key. So you said goals, companies or organizations, can they ha usually have goals. I mean, otherwise, why do they exist? They want to achieve something. And then you have to break these goals down to tasks, and you have to do it very, very sensibly. Uh, some people don't know how to write tasks for other people, and that's, that's where it starts to break. That's where collaboration breaks. Mm -hmm. If you don't break down the tasks well, so meaning what steps do we need to take to achieve uh, our goal, what clear, edible, I call it, edible steps you need to take, mm -hmm. the people that run the organization wouldn't be able to achieve anything. So it starts there. Now, once you manage to define very edible tasks people can uh, achieve, they can finish, then um, people, for, for people have obviously to execute them. But all of these tasks have to have a very clear acceptance criteria. I call it like this, some people call it whatever, you can call it whatever you want. But that means it answers the question. It's a part of a task that answers the question, how do I know that I have finished my task and achieved the goal of this edible task? So the task has to be edible, means that one person can achieve it uh, quite easily or at least in a normal amount of time. It's not a project of weeks and weeks. And then it has to have a clear criteria that says I'm done with it. And that's important. So for two reasons. One, so people, there are a lot of people that don't like to achieve stuff. They just like to push papers from side to side, and they don't like to be accountable for things that they do. So you ask them, what are you doing? It's like, yeah, I'm dealing, I'm, I'm, you know, you, you heard this probably before. I'm consulting. Yeah, no, no, consulting, <laughs> but like, uh, what are you, how is it going with, the, you created the new email campaign for our product. It's like, yeah, I'm working on it. And you hear it from like one day, and then you hear it in the next week, and it's like, okay, but... And, and these people are not to blame necessarily. Nobody told them when this task is done, so they just keep doing it. Like robots, you know. <laughs> Imagine the Roombas, that they just keep hitting the wall. Mm -hmm. It's exactly that. Yeah. If nobody defined for them when the task is done. So that's like small, ta edible task with a clear acceptance criteria. And I really insisted on that. And, it, and again, the, the medium where those are defined doesn't matter. There are good project management tools out mm -hmm. there, uh, but people don't use them well. And that I've also learned. Uh, in a couple of the companies I worked with, it removes bullshit and it creates predictability uh, and accountability. And the best effect of it is when you have edible, clear tasks, is when you, your colleague, whoever finishes those tasks, they get a kick of uh, serotonin. Mm -hmm. And the more of these small kicks, they help because they feel you're building towards somewhere. And a lot of companies, they just take huge tasks without clear acceptance criteria. They don't break them down well. And then people don't achieve anything. And then people become frustrated. And then people leave. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because if you put someone under pressure to finish an overwhelming task, it just becomes very frustrating for them, right? And that uh, staggers everything. Really. Yeah, it will generate the opposite chemical reactions that you want, you know. They will get, like, bad reaction for not achieving things. They will become frustrated. They will not feel that they are contributing for a building block that is supposed to get to the, the company to the next goal. They will have no idea, actually, what they're do wh how what they're creating is helpful. Yeah, but I think also to that point, 
maybe an important tip or an important way to design even those small edible um, chunks of, of projects that you were talking about is to give an idea to your team members on where does that fit into the bigger picture. And so then that is an additional motivator for people to be working harder on, on whatever they're supposed to achieve because they know that, okay, even though this is a small thing that I'm doing, this is another building block for achieving our strategy or moving the, moving the needle for the business or getting us to the um, next step. This is completely important. And so it's one is to be edible. The second is to have a clear acceptance criteria. But yes, to have a clear business indication or a clear description of why. So mm -hmm. why? How the, the, a good task needs to answer the why are we doing this? How is this helping? How do I know that it's done? And then also what actually I need to do, which needs to be small and edible. This is the general tip. And I've I worked in a company that leadership didn't want to do this. Okay. They just didn't what want to define. People were not, people did not know. People felt lost. And I started insisting that we write clear tasks and they, they didn't buy in on this. They're like, this is not my job. It's not my job to, to write tasks. And I was like, it's completely your job. You cannot just go into meetings and make deals with clients. It's because how do we know what to deliver? Someone has to say that. And you can, you don't have to go into the complete details, but give us those, uh, you know, the questions to the answers we just talked about. And I got so much resistance from, from, from a CEO of a company. I got a resistance for letting the development and product team, uh, just defining tasks for them. I was flabbergasted by that. It, it's I, I used flabbergasted. <laughs> I went, it was one of my words to use today. Congrats. Thank you. I do think this is quite bizarre to think that someone who should have that kind of foresight and be at that level of um, strategic thinking to say that, well, I want to achieve big things, but I do not understand that the big things consist of the small parts, right? Where uh, this is how you can recognize a great CEO or a great leader that knows that there's, you know, there's no work too small kind of to be done yeah. if you really, if you really want to execute on your vision and understand that, well, you know, if I need to get my hands dirty and I need to kind of go back to basics, even just to show your whole team the ropes, right? Because let's, of, of course you have better things to do as a CEO, but show them once and say, this is how we do it so that we can move fast. And then whoever you're delegating that to will take on that uh, role and and we'll be able to design the work for the whole team so that the, all those sales make sense and and you can actually deliver if you if you don't do it at least a bit yourself or give a bit of guidance also the if if even if, if even if you have delegated that the people that you have delegated to would not have the insight of about why are we doing that then there is a disconnect between people that build the product or I don't know, service other people and what their organization wants to achieve. And this dissonance becomes very clear to the customers, the users, call it whatever you want. Yeah, exactly. So I think, well, because we're almost running out of time, I think we're going to have to quickly move to our VP roulette segment. But just summing up what we've t discussed um, about the efficient setup for remote work, um, you've stressed a few major points, which is very clear communication and the importance of understanding what is that you want to achieve and being actually a good enough storyteller to, to give people the idea of where we're going um, at a high level, but also then being able to break it down into those singular steps that one has to take. And each of those steps should have clear acceptance criteria yes. and be edible. <laughs> yes, I like this. I should write a book with that. And this, you don't, have to, you don't have to be a leader. I mean, you have to be some sort of a leader, but it's not that you have to be like a C-level. Yeah? Mm -hmm. If you are working in a development team, if you're working in a marketing team, whatever team you're working, you can apply these things because it will make first your work better. Yeah, I think it... it it works for anyone who really is to lead a project. It doesn't have to necessarily mean that you, you need to lead a, a whole team of people. But if 
generally, if you want to get something done, say, how would you like to be uh, given a task? It's like, would you want to be told to do something that has no clear outcome and has no, let's say, long-term point in doing that? Probably not. Also, by the way, for yourself during your day, break down your day personally to edible tasks with clear acceptance criteria. Take a break every once in a while after them. Easier. This is especially if you're working from home remotely. Yeah. Highly recommend reading James Clear's book, Atomic Habits. Yeah, Atomic Habits is a great book about breaking down big, well, just rewiring your brain but also to learn how to do small things um, so that you can um, change your life and and work days for the better so we talked about how to um, communicate and create tasks and then for meetings another part that's super important is that don't go into meetings without agendas don't go don't organize meetings with a lot of people because it costs a lot of money and time is money and you cannot recharge it as in the as in the film no unfortunately not i have another tip regarding communication that i learned in one of my former companies where i worked may i share it of course they had a, a channel on uh, whatever communication service you're using that in that case we used slack and the channel was called status and in this channel you basically write some sort of like the old facebook status update so Working on task 12, you know, you can put a link or uh, uh, code reviewing some uh, code reviews if you are a coder and uh, out for lunch. And this, is, this was quite helpful. And in the beginning, it felt quite abusive for me. So to need to write these things. But then I enjoyed actually sharing like I used to enjoy on Facebook, you know, is or fear is. <laughs> and I used to write some things. And, and then we had like jokes about it because people would write really funny stuff uh, there. And we had a guy that says, was going to say he was always writing, uh, bringing the family. Mm-hmm. Sounds li- like really like suspicious. Where are you bringing them for? Like, is someone after them? So it's a really nice uh, touch to do such a thing. It's no, it was not made obligatory to write there, but uh, people r- used to write there some stuff. Then you know someone's at lunch. If you see someone is not online, you can go to that status channel and check. You don't bug them, uh, especially if they say, I'm taking a nap. It's also okay during these days when people work from home or I'm having lunch or I'm going to pick up my kids from school, whatever you're doing. Uh, so that's really helpful, this status channel. I think this is a great idea, especially if the culture of the organization is very open and uh, and accepting of uh, people being humans and not being robots, right? Because to an extent, a lot of people are not comfortable sharing updates like, I'm taking a nap, because it points to the fact that if you're taking a nap, you're not working. But if the if the company or the leadership understands that, well, taking a 20-minute power nap actually makes you more productive for the next three hours as opposed to trying to do some work and not being able to focus, then that's that's great. I I really enjoyed this as well. I thought it creates good... uh, It it makes for good, uh, not puns, but uh, inside jokes, a lot of inside jokes, which are a very important building block of company culture. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, All right. Well, before I let you go, we're going to do the VP roulette, which means that you're choosing um, three numbers from one to ten, and then they will relate to questions that I have put together. First number, five. Number five is what are you most curious about these days? Well, that's that's a good question. I think I'm most curious about collectibles again uh, as far as um, blockchain related collectibles was a big trend a couple of years back like three years ago okay you know crypto kitties and all of these games i have no idea about it's any basically of that. when you can pay with cryptocurrencies to collect things uh, and i have given it some thought because i am really enjoying playing uh, some famous football game on uh, my console it has to deal with like collectible football cards mm-hmm and I had some ideas, so I'm, I'm quite curious about it. And I'm, I'm diving a bit into like the crypto or the blockchain stuff again. So mm. that's something I'm curious about. But we're a bit late to get rich on 
Bitcoin by now, right? I'm just uh, technology-wise. <laughs> I'm curious. Yeah, ask, uh, I'm not rich. Yeah, you ask what? I'm curious about it. I'm curious. No, no, that's curious, George. I'm just kidding. Okay, the second number. Uh, two. Number two. What would you do if money was not the issue? Learn languages. Only languages all the time. That's very interesting. Languages bring people together. Languages are also such a fun way to get to know a culture. Because exactly. they, there's so much embedded in the language and the language formation that comes from the story of whatever the, the country or the people that have been using it. And oh, even, um, even when I think about how, well, how Polish is changing, which is, well, it's not changing fast enough, which is also an interesting way to think about it that, you know, we, we've come up with all of that uh, new technology and we have no words for it back home ah uh, yeah in, in uh, hebrew also people like there is a word for internet but nobody uses it everybody says internet oh so there's a different word for yeah. internet there is a an academy for like uh hebrew and they they have uh they always come up with new words for new things and they hope people will use it but nobody does mm, interesting we use we just use internet as well but we also say web Okay. But web web is um, works both for the internet and works for the just the spider web, like I guess in many countries, in many languages. Okay, and the last one, what would it be? Um, three. Three. What's the best thing uh, that came out of the new normal for you? It. I adopted this uh, remote completely ever since. This remote lifestyle or work or freelancing, actually, I would say, because for b before I was working remote, but I was working full time with some companies mm -hmm. and now I have decided and it became easier for me to decide that I want to take on different projects. I want to be more in control of my time. So not remote eight hours a day for one company, but a couple of hours here, a couple of hours there, sometimes in the night, sometimes in the morning and that I really enjoy working like that. As I mentioned earlier, one of my like. I really value flexibility and freedom in my, you know, in my psyche, in my personality, in my mm -hmm. soul. So it became easier for me to, to, uh, it became easier for me to follow these, this value with the current situation. That's great. Thank you so much, Afir, for all your answers. They're all great answers. I would love to have you again on the podcast because we haven't talked about any of the recruitment stuff and we wanted to talk about recruiting oh, we do that. i have a lot of i have a full stomach <laughs> we'll do that next for now we're gonna wrap this up thanks everyone for listening and until we meet again bye